lesson in our adult Bible study class. All right. Thank you, Pastor. <clears throat> I've been negligent. Uh, back there, Brother Young in the back there, I want to just might use you for a moment, sir. Is there anyone here who's never been here before? First time at Berean Baptist Church. All right. Anyone in here, either you somehow were negligent like me, so I'm pointing at me, you forgot either to bring your bridge or the sheet of listing the P words. Anybody say, yeah, I did forget to bring it. Everybody have it? Everyone? Okay, we have a couple. Yeah, if you want to just find out these dear folks, Gloria, Laurie back there, what they might need. The rest of you, uh, of course, this is the last Sunday, and I want to again thank uh, Pastor for allowing me this opportunity to go through this, and uh, appreciate it very much. Appreciate you folks being here. Appreciate your faithfulness to go through this. Just one little fact about Thanksgiving. Maybe some of you are historical type folks and you would know this anyway. We have a, a particular bond with the people that came over on the Mayflower. Pastor mentioned that first Thanksgiving dinner in 1621. Uh, and that is uh, who they were. Now, we don't, here as Baptists, we don't agree with all of their theology. Some of it we would, but not all of it. But here's something. Back when Queen Elizabeth I had passed away, and they were going to find out who was going to succeed her, they went to Scotland to King James. He was king of Scotland, <clears throat> and uh, he came in to be King James I of the Stuart uh, dynasty to come down to London. And the people who were the Presbyterians and the Reformed, uh, they were excited about that because Queen Elizabeth was of the Church of England, and since King James was from uh, Scotland, they thought that he was going to come in with more Presbyterian or Protestantism or at least Reformational theology. And uh, these people who were known as the Puritans in England uh, just thought that that would happen. Well, he came down, he became the king, and he surprised them. Even though he was from Scotland, he sided against the Puritans and more with the Church of England. Now, where does that go from here? There were two kinds of folks with that because they faced persecution and so forth and so on. The ones who are called the Puritans, who settled in what is today Boston in 1630, they were known as nonconformists. They didn't agree with the theology of the Church of England. They felt it was too similar to Roman Catholicism, but they wouldn't leave the Church of England. They stayed within and tried to change it from within. The term for that is nonconformist. There was another group of people, though, who would not stay in, and they are known as the pilgrims, and they were not nonconformists. They were separatists, and that's where we have this bond with them. When we find theological liberalism, when we find theological compromise, we're not saying that some of these people aren't our brothers and sisters. They're not our enemies on a personal basis, but we cannot work with them because they're compromising the truth of the Word of God. So when you think about Thanksgiving, remember these folks were pilgrims. They didn't come over in 1630 and found Boston. They came in 1620 and founded the Plymouth Plantation. So I don't know. Anybody got a quick comment on that before we move on? Just a little bit of Thanksgiving history.
All right then. Well, today is our last Sunday, and uh, again, I will unashamedly say we're going to start off with review for this reason. My heartbeat, my whole goal, is for any of you who have been, for whatever reason, inhibited, uh, you know, intimidated, whatever word you want to put there, that you've not really in your Christian life, you know it within yourself, you say, I've not really tried that much. Oh, I might have left a track somewhere, but to try to really engage someone in conversation, someone you believe did not know Christ, that's not been your forte because various reasons. And again, I'm not your conscience. I'm not here to throw stones at you. I'm here to appeal to you that when God says go, and Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, then at some point, if you're going to be honest, you need to say, I can do this through Christ. You need a vehicle. People like me were basically reserved, but we somehow find a way to say something once in a great while. That was rude, whoever did that. But as we said, and there's other ways, there's other vehicles, there's a, but this is the one we're looking at, the bridge. And as we said, going through here, you have verses. You can memorize them if you'd like to. I think that'd be wonderful. You don't have to. You have the seven points. You have pictures, and you could just, as I said, take an extra one. If you're going to talk with someone, if they're willing to talk with you, make sure that you give them one of these and you can go together. They can follow along. The key here is that the more you do this, you will familiarize yourself with it. And the more you're familiar with anything, you're comfortable with it. Now you're saying, you know what, there was a time I thought I couldn't do this, but I can do this. I know how to do this. And now you have that sense of comfort and freedom and confidence to share the gospel with people. I think that would bring joy to your heart. I've, I've shared before, any time in my life when I've been the instrument of the Lord, me, stupid old me, but God has used me of all people, because I know me. You think you know me? You don't know me. No. God uses me. That's just to say, God saying, see, I can use anybody. But I'll tell you what, the greatest joys, one of the greatest joys I've ever had is to know that I was the human instrument by which a person came to Jesus Christ. And that's the other thing. If I, I would love for everybody in this room to have that joy, to be able to weepingly say, thank you, God, that you use me to bring this person to yourself. So with that in mind, let's go back to the beginning. And uh, we have two more points to go on this last Sunday. I think we have more than enough time. And uh, as we said, I'm just going to go through these rather quickly, because if you've been here before, the number one, God's purpose, honor, and serve him. We actually said, although it's not in the bridge, hopefully you could put it down in your own notes, that, that I think biblically and logically we could precede number one with perfection or perfect. We read that passage in Genesis 1 about how God said is very good. There is uh, actually after the fall with Adam and Eve, there's a verse in there that is a reminder to me of the peaceful fellowship and the wonder of God and Adam and Eve where it says, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That is just a very pleasant, very nice, you know. And you think, 
wow, that must have been a wonderful time for Adam and Eve and God to have that, that perfect fellowship. Creator and creation. God the creator, Adam and Eve, made in the image and likeness of God. We have these verses now in number one. I'm not going to read them again this time. But God's purpose from the very get-go, honor and serve him. Our brother Gary over here last week, I said, you know, what is the basic thing? And Brother Gary said, oh, to, to give glory to God. You said, and, and that is true, and the rest of you said that also. That is our ultimate purpose. We have Revelation 4.11 that uh, confirms the idea that we're to honor and serve him. 1 Corinthians 10.31, it doesn't matter what we do in this life. Everything, the ultimate purpose is not about me, it's about him. And when pastor preaches or anybody gets in the pulpit, it's not about what we preach, it's more about who we preach. Now, there's going to be a lot of what of things we're saying, but it better have some kind of a linkage to the who, and that is the living God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the third passage here, the Psalm 16 and 11, it does say that in our honoring and serving him by giving him glory, that that gives us fullness of joy. We've had some joy this side, but I'm just going to say it because we can't imagine. Imagine for all of us who are in this room and we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. One day we're going to be glorified. We will not be able to sin anymore. We will be with him forever. I will use a Greek word. I'll bring it over to the English. Wow! <laughs> That's going to be something. Question. If God's purpose on the bottom page of number one is for mankind to honor, serve, and fellowship with him, then what happened that destroyed this perfect relationship? Quickly, before we go to number two, is there anyone who would like to make a comment at this point? I'm gazing around. I don't see any hands. All right, number two. Man's kind problem is sin. And if some of you are sitting there and saying, wow, we're going through this again, yes, we are. Familiarize yourself. Get comfortable with this. Mankind's problem, and that's the problem, is sin. Man chose to sin against God rather than serve him. Understand this. And Pastor talked about this in a message. We have a lot of problems on planet Earth today. We have all kinds of problems. And when you trace it back, to if, if the idea of fellowship is, here's God and here's us, who moved? Did God move? No, God never moved. We moved. So every problem, every war, every disease, every natural, every, everything, I don't care what it is, if it's bad and negative and horrible and everything, we have to trace it back to its source. And the source is the person you're looking at in the mirror. We are the source of all the problems. When something bad happens to you, does that necessarily mean from John chapter 9 that God is punishing you because you did something wrong and I'll get you, I saw what you did. No. But it can all be traced back to the garden. And here's something else. Some people say, well, if I was in the garden, you know, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. Oh, yes, it would. Absolutely. All of sin comes short of the glory of God, every single last one of us. What does it mean to sin against God? Sin is breaking God's law. 
And remember, this doesn't come into play after we're born when we first sin. No, we sin because we are a sinner. The sin nature comes to us at the moment of conception. In sin did my mother conceive me. So there's a lot of people out there, some human philosophers have tried to say this idea of sin, they don't even recognize it, but some people have said, well, you become a sinner the first time you sin. That is not biblical. The day you were born, you were separated from God. All right, so there you go. We sin by doing what God has commanded us not to do or by doing what God has told us to do. So we've got this problem. It finds its source in us. Question, is there any consequence to this? And the answer is, of course there is. Number three, sin's penalty is death. The Bible says, or the wages of sin is death and so forth. You can look through these verses, and uh, there is, death means separation. There is a word in the Hebrew, and it has the idea that the word separation in the Hebrew is the idea of a cutting, of a separation. And so that word in the Hebrew, and I probably didn't pronounce it the way the Hebrews would, but it's kind of trying to get closer, uh, that cutting. So there is that separation. There's the separation when God says, in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. There's the spiritual death from the life of God. There's physical death, but the worst is eternal death. Look at the illustration for number three. Man's got this problem. He's not been able to cross this chasm this separation between God and eternal life, now we know there's a penalty. Question, transitional, can anything be done to change this? I'm stopping. At this point, does anybody have a question or a comment, something you would like to say, make a point? Here's your opportunity. Yes, sir. Okay. It's interesting, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I will tell you how many times I've looked at the, uh, the little black figure of the man and notice I, looking down in the sense of seeing what, what's, what's there. But no, what you said is absolutely true. The natural man, not only, not only listen to this, please, because not only is he looking in the wrong place, He's not capable of looking in the right place. Spiritually dead. 1 Corinthians in the very first chapters. Let's just look at that just for a moment. Thank you for pointing that out. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to take some time on this. Look at two verses. Da, 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 da. 
It's actually at the end of chapter 2. I just want to read beginning in verse 13. Paul is doing a contrast of the difference between the saved and the lost, the spiritual man and the natural man. Verse 12, I'm going to go. Now we have received, believers, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice the first word in verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Because they are Paul doesn't say they're difficult or hard. Paul looks at this natural unbeliever and says, it is impossible. All the things of God are foolishness. They, they can't know them. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him the mind of Christ? And then someone mentioned last week, real quickly, you don't have to turn to this unless you, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, here again, the same author, Paul says, <clears throat> and you, speaking to the Christians in Ephesus, and you hath he quickened, the old English word for made, make alive, who were, who were wounded in trespasses and sin. No, you weren't wounded, you weren't hurt, you weren't walking with a spiritual limp. You were dead in trespasses and sin. So what you said is very important, and I'm glad that you saw that. I'm glad you brought that up, Brother Derek. Thank you. Because he's looking, he's looking in the wrong place. Now I know that there's some debate here. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna step away from this pulpit of sorts and say that there's different views on this, but I'm gonna say it's it's not that it is difficult for him to see the truth. I think what I just read says he's spiritually dead, and yea, verily, even if you're trying to share the truth with this person, unless God the Holy Spirit is working with them and drawing and everything, just of this own accord, they're going to be foolishness to him. So there you go. I, I thank you for that thought. Now, based on what I just said, does anybody else have anything they'd like to share? Yes? Yeah. No, no, because that's where the debate is at. I, I'll just go this far. I appreciate the question, and uh, but but I'm just trying to say here: either way you go with that, uh, God at some point, I, I think whether you're Calvinist or the other view. God must be with the Holy Spirit drawing you or working with you because you are right. I want to say this to you and to everybody in here. We have the responsibility to repent. We have the responsibility to receive Christ. We cannot say, well, it's not my fault. I didn't get saved. God didn't choose me. No, that's not biblically sound. So I want to resp I don't want to go into that whole thing because if, if we had an extra thousand years we might be able to deal with it but we don't but no it's right i want to balance that out we 
Uh, we are spiritually dead, but that doesn't mean we're not spiritually responsible. And as Pastor said many times, how do you put those two together? We can't figure that out. Did you want to say anything to that? Because what you've preached, you know, this thing, we can't do that. We, uh, we are finite. Yes, sir. Yes. That's right. That's right. We are told, we are told to go into the world. We don't go onto a porch and knock on a door and say, "I'd like to come in and talk to you about Christ," but I got to find out first of all, are you one of the chosen? You know, no, no. We go to everybody. If we're going to assume anything, we're going to assume that they're sinners and they need Christ. All right. Thank you for that. Let's move on to number four. Then how can we ever have eternal life? Put down the P word: human pride. You see, there's all kinds of ideas. There's all kinds of paths. I just was on my phone yesterday, and I, I guess I watch these folks enough. They, they plug me in on what's going on in Salt Lake City. <laughs> the tabernacle. So, uh, you know, they have their ideas. The JWs have their ideas. The Romanists have their ideas. Christians, I mean, there are a lot of different people who say, you know, you really need to come with me where I worship because we are the only ones that have the real answer. And you have to be very careful. So, moving on. There's a lot of various ideas, but only one is true, the one provided by God. It's circular reasoning in, to, to the lost world. I had someone come up to me last week. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but it was Abby. Uh, <laughs> who said something about, what do you say to people? <clears throat> How do we know that our way is the true way? And in a rational sense, just at the human level of wisdom, Rome has, Salt Lake City has, Jehovah's Witness have, you know, we, we all have. How, how do we know? In the rational sense, the world will not accept, you know, the idea of, I'll just say it, through the Holy Spirit, when we are regenerated and we are born-again believers, God gives us through His Spirit, and I can't define this in a, in, a, in a human dictionary, but God witnesses within us. The Holy Spirit says within us that He indwells us and we are of the truth. And after I was saved, I knew I was saved. And I, and, I, and I knew that, all right? Because God is a God who keeps his promise. He says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll respond. You shall know the truth. And therefore, what he said to repent, did I pour my heart out to God and tell him I knew I was a sinner? Yes. Was I just parroting words, reading it off a piece of paper? No, I was spilling my guts. I was, I was crying, and I said, I know I'm a sinner. I'm deserving of hell. But this guy down the hallway told me he knows he's going to go to heaven, and that's what I want for me. Jesus, if you're here and you can hear me, this thing about being born again or being saved, please, I beg you, please become my Savior. Please be born again. I went to bed that night, and the next day I woke up, and I said, I know. I'm, I know. I just knew. Now, if somebody else wants to speak to that, 
And again, you can't share that with the world. They're going to say, well, that's not evidence. That's not proof. Is to me. Yes. Right. And I want to say one other thing, too, just about this, too, because some people don't have a day. I have a day. I know the day. Some people get a little concerned because they don't have the day. Well, let me just ask you right now. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you believe the Bible is true? Yes. Are you going to try to get to heaven by your good works? No. So you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior today. Yes, I'm trusting in Jesus to be my Savior today. Then you don't need to have a date. Jesus is your Savior. So a date is a little like frosting on the cake, but it's not the cake. So if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, not by works of righteousness that you have done, by the washing of regeneration, you know this, you've got a no-so salvation, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, then if that's real in your life, you're saved. Anybody want to say anything to that before we move on? Brother David. Amen. Right. Faith is by definition faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. That's a nice little, you know, F-A-I-T-H. It's not forsaking all, I've got all the evidence and all everything. I've got to study and everything like this. Now I have scientific evidence that can be reproduced in some laboratory in Argonne, New Jersey or someplace. No, it's not that. Okay. Human pride, these verses, Proverbs 14 and 12, I, I threw in there Isaiah 64, 6, not by works of righteousness, Titus 3, 5, and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Then what is the way from spiritual death to spiritual life? This is where we were last week, the day before, the week before Thanksgiving. Christ's payment, there's that P word, this is where we left off, our sinless substitute. And we talked about that idea of substitution. You see, if you're raised or you believe one-tenth of one one-hundredth that Jesus Christ did 99.99999, but there's just that very thin thing that, that I have to do, then he's not your substitute the way it means. The substitute means he takes your place 100%. James talks about that. If you think that work's going to play a role, then James wrote the truth. He says, well, he says, if you live your entire life and three days before you die, you commit a sin, guess where you're going to go? You're not going to go to heaven. But I lived my whole life without committing a, a sin. No, you didn't. Three days before you died, remember? You stepped on that crack and broke your mother's back. It's over. But that's the truth. And that truth also of saying, like, you know, if you could be saved, and I know a lot of people want to put it a joint operation. God does his part, and I do my part. But there's, you know that. You understand that. It can't be by, by that. Well, so now we come to the question, all right. He commended his love towards us. He, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But that was 2,000 years ago. For Christ has also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's true. But that was 2,000 years ago. How do I 
on November the 27th, 2022. How do I take what happened 2,000 years ago and how do I appropriate that and have it impact my life now in my time-space history? You do that because God's the eternal God. He does not, time does not bother him. And he's with you right now, whether you're saved or not. He's everywhere. So if you're a sinner in a barracks in Rhein-Main, Germany, back in 1975, God is present in that room. So when I wanted to call out to him to get saved, I didn't have to take a flight down to Jerusalem or anything like that. I didn't have to go up to Rome. or He was wherever I'm at, that's where he's at. And so let's go to number six. Here's your P word, our pardon. I talked one day, Dan was in here, Dan Young, a lawyer, and I said, it's a pardon. It's not declared innocent. Because we're not innocent. The very fact that we're given a pardon tells us that we did something wrong. How do we cross the bridge to eternal life? Here is the answer. Now we see he's still looking down, but now when he looks down, he, he sees this bridge to eternal life. We must receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In order to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you must repent of your sins and indirectly, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only hope of eternal life. The Bible says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. In other words, we have this, this word conversion as the idea of turning. So if we have our back to God and we are lost and therefore we are under the control, as it were, of the devil, we're on his playground, to repent means I'm going to turn away from Satan. And as I'm turning away from Satan, as I'm repenting and rejecting the devil, as I'm rejecting him, I am coming around to receive Jesus Christ. It's just this idea of turning, repentance, a change of heart, a change of mind, turning. That's the picture. Now, if anybody else wants to add on to that, that's fine. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, Acts 16. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You turn to trust. Any of you in your life where there was a time when you admitted to God that you were a sinner and you received the Lord Jesus Christ, you turned to him. It's a turning of a different trust. And not only do you turn your back on the devil, there's also you, you have to turn your back on yourself. Because if you think you've turned to God and you say, well, now, now God and me is going to get me to heaven. No, you've, you've not turned all the ways you need to turn. You have to turn from the enemy. You have to turn away from yourself. And all that teaching. How many of you, just to show up, how many of you were not raised in a Christian home and sometime earlier in your life you were receiving what was considered in that church or that whatever, a Christian teaching, but you were told lies because you were told that good works would play a role in your salvation. Anybody else in that? There you go. Yes. Now, praise God that many of you were raised in a Christian home or you, you, know, you were instructed correctly. 
But one of my greatest tor tortures, 1 John chapter 5, these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Let, let's just turn there for a moment. I just want you to see that. It's 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and then if anybody, I'll, I'll go to you if you'd like to speak to this. I was, for the first 22 years of my life, everything I did, the sacraments, being an older boy, a choir boy, all of them was with, under the umbrella of a torture that I've not done enough. And at 22 years of age, I came to the crisis where I knew I was going to die. I, even, I don't know if I've ever told this group, but I remember very specifically in my bed at the barracks, and I kind of woke up in the middle of the night, and I heard the clock ticking. And I remember I heard that clock ticking, and I said, well, Earl, you're just that much closer to hell. And I was dead serious. I remember one time I went to confession. I confessed all my sins to the priest. The Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I walked out of the cathedral, and I looked up, and I said, will you please kill me right now? I've just been to confession. I've confessed every sin I know. Please, this is as good as I'm going to get. Take me now. Kill me now. I'd have gone straight to hell. I'm glad he didn't take me up on my, my suggestion. Would someone want read to us uh, out loud if anybody wants to volunteer? If you're in 1 John chapter 5, would you please read verses 11, 12, and 13? Anybody? Okay, right here. I'll get back to you over there. Right here, Brother Cotter. I not only heard what you read, but I heard how you read that, okay? All my life I'd been in torture. Never heard of this. I never read the Bible. Made no sense to me. Why? My church told me what to believe, what not to believe. And I remember after I was saved, the guys in the Navigators, they said, have you ever read the Bible before? I said, nope. And they said, start with the New Testament. Start with the Gospel of John. That's always the thing. But I remember, I'll never forget it. I should have dated it. But the very first time I read those three verses, and I just stopped. Just stopped. I'll give you one more. I just, just want to bring this home. I, I want it to be about God. But I remember as a kid reading the story of Aladdin's lap. I shared this one time. I, don't know if you remember, but I was reading the story of Aladdin's lap and the three wishes. You know, rub this here, come to the genie. And I remember, I said, wow. If God would give me one wish like this, I wouldn't need three wishes. My wish would be simply this. I would not care if my life was hell on earth as long as I could get my wish that when I die, I would go to heaven. That's all I cared about. And I thought to myself after reading this, you know what? God, what I thought was never possibly known. I was never taught you could have a no-so salvation. And I read that, and I remember crying out to God. You've done it. I didn't even realize it, but you've done it. My, my dream, my prayer, everything. 
Now I know that when I die, I will go to heaven. Thank you, God. And I was never tortured about it again. I have a place in my heart. There are people, and I love these folks. When you just put your simple faith in God, he'll hear you. When you tell him you're sorry, he will hear you. He wants to save you. He loves to save you. When you call out from your heart, one time does it. You call out and simply, you know, the thief on the cross. What do he say? He says to his friend, he says, do you, do you not understand who you're talking to? You're, you know, we're getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And he says to Jesus, he talks to them, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, no, wait, look, not so fast, not so fast. You know, there's a lot of things you need to do. Somebody tell me, after he said, Jesus, remember me, Jesus, Lord, 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 remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did he say back to that thief? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Simple, childlike faith. Just turn to him, and he'll grab you up and hug We get going here. Now, does anybody want to say anything about this before we move on? Pastor. Amen. 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 Thank you for that. Because just what you said, um, I was just sharing with people. I was at a, these people's home last night. They were of the Roman persuasion. And the husband was sitting there on the couch. And I said these words. We were going through this. And I said, therefore, I know that when I die, I know I'm going to go to heaven. It's a no-so salvation. Just like what you said. Oh, he, of course, this stuff is foolishness to him. He was blind and dead. And he was very indignant. And he waved his finger at me. He says, you can't say that. You can't know that. You don't know right now. Oh, yeah, you're here right now and you're believing all this stuff. But you don't know what you're going to be like 10 years from now. You don't know. You know, you could turn your back, blah, 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 and all this stuff. He said, what you're saying is conceited. It's arrogant. It's haughty. I mean, he was saying everything. And I said, well, that's what I went back to him. And I just said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You keep pointing to me like you're saying this, you're saying that. I said, I'm not saying it. God is saying it through the Apostle John. There's the, have, if God says it, God knows what he's about. And as for what I'm going to do in, in 10 or 20 years, am I going to be able to sin? Yes, I, I, yeah, I'll admit it, I will. That's why God, who spans time and eternity, when on the day that he saved you, he wasn't just looking at the sins that you committed up until that day. He, didn't, he doesn't forgive sins as they come along. He forgave me. And he forgave you. And he knew every single stinking sin you were going to commit after you were saved. 
Do you think that after Peter got saved, God knew that Peter was going to one morning deny him and say he didn't even know him? Yes, he did. We know that road. Now, we got our pardon and our trust, number six. Now, after we have done that, and we have been born into the family of God, let's go to number seven, the last one. God's promise, eternal life. Not spiritual death. Jesus Christ said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. In other words, truly, truly, it's we like saying, now, listen up, pay attention. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. In other words, you have it. It's not something you're trying to win or get to. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And like Pastor said, that's not something that any human being wrote down. That comes from Jesus Christ. That's what he said. Now, if this man that was, I was in his home, if he wants to deny the Bible, that's his choice. But I'm not going with the Pope said. I remember one time Martin Luther, he was, you know, debating this guy. And this guy kept on, you know, quoting uh, uh, August, Augustine and, and different Ambrose and different church fathers and, and, and Luther, which we don't, we're not Lutherans. And Luther went back to him, he says, you keep quoting the church fathers. I'm quoting the heavenly father. I'm going to go with him. I don't care what you say. I'm going with the word. This verse has one promise with three parts. And then I want to close with adding one more. The person who believes has eternal life, does not come into judgment, has passed out of death into life. Praise God for that. But I want to put down one more P word after God's promise because we did an extra one. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. And the reason why I want to put this down is because it's what I never had before Christ and what I've always had after Christ. If there's someone here, now, who had their hand up out there earlier? David, read to us Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Just think about that. Thank you, David. Having been justified by the sacraments. Zip on that. Having been justified by faith and my good works. That's not true. Having justified by faith, like I said in the previous ones, believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. We know this. How How is it we agree with each other and understand this? Because the same Holy Spirit, just like when Paul was preaching to Lydia, says God opened her heart. She repented and she received. And so all of us have come out of spiritual darkness. None of us were born a believer. Now you've been raised in Christian's home. Praise God for that. I know pastor says that and appreciates that. Some of us were not, but we have this common thing. What before was unknowable to us in the faith because we were lost. Now we have been regenerated. Our faith and trust is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come and set up residence within us. And now we can read this and understand it. by thank you by the mercy and grace of, of God. To have peace with God. 
I can't even put it into words. Before, I was terrified at the thought of dying, but not anymore. Now, I know he's going to, we're, we're going to have the Bema seat, and he will talk with me about opportunities I did not take, it, but, but it's going to be, he's going to talk to me in love. There might be a little bit of a discipline there, but there's not going to be a depart from me, he who practice iniquity, because we have peace with God. Anybody want to share something? Close in prayer in a couple minutes. I don't see any hands. We'll wait for just a second. I just want to share with you. I love you guys. You're my brothers and sisters. God has given us a pastor. I give all the glory to God. Pastor, I thank you for you and your family. There are so many places in St. St. Ignace. Ha, I'm not there anymore. In Lafayette, West Lafayette, in this area. Oh, they got big, beautiful buildings and stained glass windows. They have big crosses on top, and you go in there, and wow, it looks posh. But it's kind of like those whitewashed tombs in Jesus' day. They're dead on the inside. This building is very nice, but you're not going to confuse this place with St. Peter's Basilica. This is pretty simple fare. This is a Baptist church because we're not focused on the external here. We want to have a nice place. We got the nice benches and different, we, we like that. But I mean, what makes this place different isn't the, per, isn't the building, but the being who dwells with being. This is where we can come as brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful that someone, a guy by the name of Gene Sharp, back in 1975, came to my door, and he took the time to share the gospel with me. I don't know if Gene Sharp is still alive or not, but I know when I get to heaven, if these things happen, I'm going to go up to him, and I'm going to say, Gene, all glory to God, but thank you for taking the time to share the gospel with me. Please, my brothers and sisters, there's somebody out there who you can share the gospel with and who will listen and will be saved. The key is you have to be willing to go. Anybody got a last word? Anything they want to share? We'll close in prayer. Okay. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
these different words in Amen. Thank you for that. Just quoting Pastor, this last Sunday, or it might have been Wednesday, I don't know, you said to us, and I thought that is so true, people are watching us. People are watching us. Thank you for that. Going, going, it's there close in prayer. Brother Hank, is that you back there, my brother? Would you close for us in a word of prayer? Amen. Thank you. We are dismissed. Service begins in about 15 minutes.